Hi all, you're listening to PR Hangover, a bi-weekly public relations podcast and talk show brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter and hosted by me, Hunter Buren. Now you can sit back, get a cup of coffee, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks! Alright, we'll start out this podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name is Logan Clements, and I run a one-woman concierge company that helps universities and multinational companies enter China, uh, both from an event standpoint as well as a media strategy standpoint. So you've been in China since 2014, was that? Yep, 2014. Um, Why did you move over here to begin with? Uh, So I studied Chinese at university um, and decided that I wanted to move to China to see if I could use my language ability as well as explore the job market here. Um, There seemed to be a lot of opportunity. I'd studied abroad twice before in China, once as a student and then another as part of a business class. Mm -hmm. And I met a lot of alumni from a university and uh, different business leaders, and all they could talk about was how much was going on in China and how every industry seemed to be having something new happening here. So I had to kind of weighed my options staying in the U.S. and then weighed them coming abroad and always figured if I didn't come to China, I think I would have always wondered what if, what Mm would have happened if I'd gone. Um, and you can always go back to America, so that's what I yeah. always, I kind of say I have that to fall back, and I feel like I, I, I could always go back to the U.S. and work. So, so. Um, what was the first job you had when you came here? Yeah, so I worked as, I was an intern to start at a group called Mailman Group. Um, it's a digital strategy agency, um, and I worked for kind of a startup under that parent company that was doing, uh, called MVIP, and it was all about sports tourism to take Chinese nationals to the U.S. and give them this VIP sports experience where not only would they go and watch a game, but maybe they get to tour the stadium or meet the general manager and they get a you know, five-star hotel, the whole kind of package. Um, back at the time when we were trying to really market to all the, Chinese, the new money Chinese tourists. Mm-hmm. who had all this money to spend but didn't know what, and a lot of them were football fans, of, not American football, but soccer fans or baseball fans, and yeah. we wanted to cater to them. Um, so that was kind of how it started. But then we pivoted, and it kind of went up and down along the way. Yeah. <laughs> so um, talking about just running digital here versus digital in the U.S., what are some difficulties that you've come across, some things that you were surprised came easier than you thought? Um, what, is, what was your experience with that? Yeah, so, um, well, for starters, I don't know if everyone knows, but uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are all blocked in China. Mm -hmm. Um, So your knowledge of kind of Western media doesn't really apply here um, because your users can't even access those sites. Um, So it's really important for brands to be on Chinese social media, which is Weibo, which is like the Chinese Twitter, and then WeChat, which is, I say, it's more like if WhatsApp plus Facebook plus LinkedIn plus Instagram plus Twitter all got married. Mm-hmm. Also Venmo and Uber, because <laughs> you can do everything on WeChat. So that's all. Those are kind of your two platforms here. Um, and it's just, it's different because I think in the U.S. you would listen to media sources. But in China, it's really about KOLs, key opinion leaders, and getting um, these thought leaders online to promote your brand, your sport. A lot of my clients were on the sports realm, so we were doing a lot of education. So American football, NFL is one of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was on the Weibo side of things, we were trying to figure out why is someone a fan of American football if they don't have a team to support here in China. There's no yeah. American football in China. So your s- digital strategy was really important because we kind of had to manufacture that feeling and start to like really uh, do multiple entry points for these fans to start to become a fan, whether it was they thought a player was cute and that's why mm-hmm. they started following the sport or they thought it was just different than soccer because all their friends watch soccer and so they want to be different and cool and they're going to watch football. Yeah. Or 
because they like cheese, and the Packers might be someone that they yeah. might like because of the cheese. Uh-huh. So, so do you think uh, the reason that you have to reach out to key opinion leaders more here is because of the collectionist, um, like, society that China has? It's more of, we're all doing this, so you should also um, go along with that, whereas in the U.S. it's more of an individual, individual society? Yeah, I think... I mean, part of it might be that, that mm-hmm. because you just kind of want to go along with what other people are saying. And I think it's also that maybe you would trust one of these key opinion leaders online more than you might trust the media. Yeah. Um, again, because it's controlled different than maybe in the U.S. where there's not, there's not free speech here. Yeah. Um, and so they might say, you know, that person, I like their style, therefore I'm going to trust what their opinions are about X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like in the U.S. there's still that same kind of mentality that you have key opinion leaders on social media and people who are like Instagram famous and yeah. they follow them. But um, I think here it's just a little bit more ingrained because like from the beginning of Weibo and WeChat, KOLs were really important versus in the U.S. I think it's something that's only started to kind of pop up. So uh-huh. they don't have as big a hole on the market versus where you could maybe buy ads. Like on Twitter, you could buy ads and things. And on Weibo, you can buy ads, but they would, we would for strategy-wise, you wanna, you'd rather pay key opinion leaders to promote your brand than maybe go through the traditional ad platforms. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, you started your own business eight months ago, was it? Yeah. Logan Strategy Group, can you kind of describe what that does, um, what you guys have been working on, some stories that you've had from starting it up? Yeah, like that. yeah. Uh, Logan Strategy Group. Yeah, so like I said before, it's a one-woman concierge agency. So mm-hmm. one thing I found at my, I worked at uh, Mailman Group was a Chinese agency. Then I moved to a Western ag- uh, agency that did sports, media, and events as well as some other events, but mainly in the health industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything I saw there, uh, I loved doing the digital strategy. I loved being on hand when uh, teams brought players over. Yeah. Um, and I just realized there's a missing piece that a lot of clients, so people from the U.S., don't have someone who's on their team who speaks Chinese and understands the local market. So they really rely on their outsourced partners. And there's a lot of bad partners out there. Or by bad, I mean maybe they'll just charge you too much because they know you don't yeah. know the market value. Um, or the local customer service level here in China is a little bit lower than Western expectations. And mm-hmm. I found in sports specifically that uh, athletes and coaches really value routine and having everything predictable. And uh, I don't know if you've learned from your experience here in China, but a lot of things are very unpredictable here. Yeah. Um, so having someone who can kind of be your your in your middleman to help make your experience more comfortable. So we've been targeting. Um, I've been working with a lot of university groups that are bringing sports teams here. So um, there's a women's soccer team that's coming next month and a women's volleyball team that's coming in August. Um, and it's a U.S. university who's bringing their sports team here, and we're helping them troubleshoot on their tour as well as use sports as a diplomatic tool. So if they're trying to do a partnership with a new university, yeah. it's great to bring a team over. You can have them play against each other. It gives the athletes a benefit. It gives the school a benefit and might mm-hmm. give you an excuse to also set up more strategic partners in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a very niche <laughs> yeah. uh, area, um, and a lot of people don't know they need me until they get here. Yeah. Um, but I've had to heard too many uh, horror stories of people who've come to China once and hated it and then never come back. Yeah. So I'm trying to change that narrative a little bit. So um, with bringing all these Western um, sports teams and companies to China, what do you think is one of the bigger misconceptions that they have going into this? Biggest misconceptions? Um I think a lot of people maybe from interactions will 
find that locals, either people are a little bit ruder than they would be in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it's just because the mentality, like I said, with customer service in the U.S., if you asked a waiter or a, someone at a hotel to help you, they would say yes and do it. Um, but in China, you'll find a lot of people might say yes and then not do anything. So mm -hmm. they'll say yes and walk away, and then you're frustrated because you don't know, you know, where was the miscommunication. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's a big one. And I think a lot of Americans still have the mentality that they assume everyone can speak English when they travel to other places, especially yeah. if you stay in nice hotels or go to nice restaurants or have a nice bus service. You would just expect that. And um, there can be a big disconnect because maybe that person can just say yes, but no matter how loud you yell your English or slow you try to say you speak yeah. your English words, they're still not going to understand you. Mm -hmm. um, so those are two kind of big points that I've, I've had, and that just leads to, you know, little funny miscommunication stories and things. Yeah. Um, but the main one is a lot of powerful people, I think, feel um, uncomfortable in China. So they're used to, like, CEOs and coaches and leaders of teams who in the U.S. could do everything, and they, ha they know who to call, they know what to do if something happens. And the minute they get to China, they can't even talk to a taxi driver. And yeah. to go in a car with someone who you can't communicate with can be a very scary experience. Or should a you know, a player or someone have a medical emergency, they don't know the number to call when they're here in China. Mm -hmm. um, so like little things like that, that I think don't seem like big issues, but should something happen, it can, it, it can turn into something bigger. Yeah. Um, and so having someone that you know, okay, I have peace of mind because I have Logan or someone else here that can help me and navigates, knows all of those questions that I'm going to have. Um, and ideally I'm anticipating those issues you have so that we're better prepared and you're not learning when you're here. You kind yeah. of know what to expect. Um, before you get here, which is always helpful. Yeah, so I know that you studied um, Mandarin in college and things of that nature, but I know a lot of other people go in, are thrown into international jobs, sort of. Like um, my father, he was thrown into a job at Ford in China, and he does still barely speaks any Mandarin. So do you think that that's a good experience for these people, or it's something that maybe should be worked on more, they should be given a lot more experience beforehand? Yeah, I think one of the importance there, language is always a plus. No matter where you've gone, and I've traveled now, now a lot more in Asia, and everywhere I've been able to speak the language, you have a much more in-depth experience. Mm -hmm. um, and you get to know people better, and you eat the right food and everything. Um, so I think language is important but, important, but for ages they've been bringing over a lot of Westerners who don't speak the language. So I think for them the biggest, most important thing to learn is about the culture and just yeah. how different, especially business culture is very different here, mm -hmm. um, and how you would interact with just your internal communications, I think are really important. And a lot of Westerners will come over and have this mentality that I will run everything like a Westerner and not realize that they have Chinese as well as other foreign employees who their home markets might have different customs and things. Yeah. Um, and so being able to, I think there could be, um, some companies are doing really well, other companies I could think could have better pre-departure like counseling essentially. So someone mm -hmm. who come in and educate them a little bit more about culture if they came here and then also yeah. them uh, any expat who comes over here with no language ability is open to learning is open to learning a little bit of language open to learning a lot about the culture and understanding that it's not going to be the same that their New York office was run it's going to yeah. be very different how their Shanghai office is run yeah um, so yeah it's very it's very interesting I say everyone if you don't have an open mind when you come to China I think you have a very you can have a very negative experience or it can wear you down very quickly. But mm -hmm. if you kind of keep your mind open and are always looking for new opportunities and realize that this is a huge learning experience that when you return to your home market, like I said, the U.S. or Europe or wherever, you have all these school, these skills now that you've learned that someone sta who stayed in America for their entire professional working experience couldn't, yeah. couldn't have gotten. Yeah, for sure. So with the different um, business uh, culture here, what 
what would you say was really difficult about starting your own business? I know that there's a lot of people that maybe you, you don't know because you aren't from here. There's a lot of different relationships that are harder to create because you are a foreigner yeah. and you're creating a business in a foreign country. Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's a roller coaster. So I said it's terrifying and exciting. Um, and I like it because it's terrifying and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely, I was fortunate when I was making the decision to go out on my own. I had some standing clients, including I still work with my old agency um, on a freelance basis. And a couple other people who had talked to me that if I had time, I would like you to work with me. And it, they're both based in China. And a lot of them are also based in the U.S., um, which was very encouraging for me to know that I wasn't just quitting my job to make a product that I didn't know if there was a market for. There mm-hmm. was a market, and I just had to figure out what part of it I, I wanted to be a part of. Um, so that was difficult. I, the entrepreneur community here in Shanghai is really special. Um, they are very open to new ideas, whether you're an expat, whether you're Chinese. Um, it's very exciting, and so I already had some contacts in that area, and I could kind of, I'd learned from their experience and kind of what you know pitfalls they'd made and also mm-hmm. what... Um, other challenges they've had to kind of face and who they talk to. Um, so like I said, that's a for earlier um, that in China, <laughs> there's ways you can do things cheap here. You can do things yeah. very cheap in China, but cheap doesn't always mean better. Um, and so one thing I saw a lot of entrepreneurs fall is trying to figure out the cheapest way to set up the company, the cheapest way to get all those boxes ticked before you can start taking on big clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen them, those cheap ways kind of bite them in the butt. So I've been trying to like line up, I had to make sure I lined up everything um, to be able to maybe afford maybe the more expensive option, but then also make sure, you know, all the legal side and things like that. So it's definitely a learning experience because yeah. my background is marketing. So I can do all the marketing and do all the copywriting, but on the financial legal side, I've definitely had to lean on my network yeah. um, and just keep asking questions. That's what, it's my biggest thing. I just always ask questions. I take a lot of people to coffee <laughs> yeah. and try to pick their brain. That's kind of my, my two keys if you're ever going to start your own business is just ask questions and take people to coffee. <laughs> yeah. So um, being a one-woman show, being running this business by yourself, of course you have connections, but do you think at times it's very wearing, like you have to do all this by yourself. You have a lot, all these people that you can take to coffee and can learn from, but in the end it's you and you um, alone. Do you think that's difficult? Would you want to eventually add on some people to your business or do you think it's just better to be? Yeah, well I have my story, I have a friend who always makes fun of me on uh, on weekends. He always says that I don't have to go into work on Monday because I'm my own boss. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't have it as hard because you know essentially I work for myself, which I have to keep correcting him that I do. I understand that, but I don't have, you know, a colleague that I can call in sick and say, "Hey, you take over the the work. I'm not going to come in today because yeah. I don't feel great." Um, I have to do it. So I've also been able to be more it's great cuz I'm flexible to go on vacations when I want to, but a lot of them are working vacations because I don't have out of office messages or anyone I can refer work to if my clients have issues. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of I've liked that, that I'm more in control of my hours, but um, I also have, yeah, you do not get a break. So I'm currently, right now in the next six months, looking to expand my team. Um, I don't think I want to turn into a large agency that's going to be taking on, you know, their own social and digital and all kinds of things. I think building a little bit more of a flatter company where there's essentially clones of kind of myself and what I can do. So being bilingual, being really, you know, knowledgeable about media, knowledgeable about events, um, Chinese ideally and then expand to other Asia countries not just China um, I think forever there will be a market here in China but I also know Western teams and things are looking at other places in Asia because the Olympics are coming over here for the next six years they're in mm-hmm. Korea then Japan then China so um, Asia is the spot to be in if you're trying to do any form of sports marketing yeah so do you think um, with 
uh, running your own thing. I forgot what I was going to talk about. So we're going to go to a different um, section. So I know you work um, with social media sort of at Instavisor, and you used to work for Dragon Media, which was a Chinese company, right? Um, what do you think content-wise have you noticed has been different? I know obviously platforms are different with Twitter and Facebook, but then WeChat and WhatsApp. And um, What do you think content-wise is different for um, promoting things? Yeah, so um, Weibo does function a lot. It does function very similar to Twitter here. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of content. Um, for that, again, it's more interesting of the brand and their brand presence already in China. So NFL, China's one that for Weibo we did a lot of posting, and that's very educational. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to do, you kind of have to appeal to also the the fans who are already there and excited and want to know the stats, but a lot of it is just about what a touchdown is or maybe having to explain who that famous player is yeah. because it's a very new sport. Um, versus a brand that might have been here, you know, 20 years longer, you don't have to do education. You're just doing interesting content. Um, a lot of things we found that play well is if you write content about China or things going on in China. Um, so we launched at Dragon Media, we actually launched a WeChat account called Life in the Huddle. Um, and for WeChat accounts, you can follow official accounts and then they'll send you, you essentially get a feed of like articles that they send out. Um, and we did this where it was focused only on reporting on local football. Because mm-hmm. there's no, not in the U.S. where you have your, like, local newspaper or I guess now it might be, like, their local Facebook page that would write about a local athlete. Yeah. Um, they have nothing here. Minus Weibo, they would have team accounts, but you would really have to be a big fan to want to check 35 accounts to see how all the yeah. local teams did. Um, and there's over 32 local tackle football teams in China everywhere from Shanghai all the way out to uh, Yunnan province and everything. Um, so we made a spot where everyone could go where all the information is coming into one account and it's played really well so people like to read about themselves they like to read about their friends or they like to read about someone who looks like them and has a personal story that in the day he's a operates a metro he runs the subway he's a subway driver but at night he puts on his football equipment and tackles his buddies and Mm -hmm. then they go out to dinner afterwards so that plays a lot better than writing a profile on Marshawn Lynch going back to the Raiders maybe yeah Um, because again the context of it it's more relatable um, so we've really pushed brands to do more um, offline stuff here in China, offline activations, not just writing about what they're doing in their home market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll see even uh, like Ford or something would do like a car launch and want to make it a big, there's a big to-do that they invite all the KOLs and media to. So it's something experiential that people don't just aren't just watching it on TV or online. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part too that I know companies are kind of forgetting to, that your online strategy is also defined by what you do offline and kind of making sure you always like, track the two so you take pictures and have people follow your accounts while they're offline at your event and then chat about it again when they're online and yeah it kind of it's a cycle so what do you think um with a lot of event um you've created a lot of events here and um marketed those what do you think are some things that also uh, companies for events um don't really think about when they're promoting the events there's all obviously social media and digital but then also are there some guerrilla marketing tactics that you have found work very well for promoting events? Yeah. Um, A big one has been having a key visual um, that's been really helpful for offline. So having something that they can take, that fans can take pictures with. Um, Mm -hmm. WeChat's a big one. Um, 
everywhere that you just like to share pictures and you send pictures to your friends. So you'll see in malls here in China, if you go inside the mall in the center, there'll be some activation of a new movie coming out or a new brand release and there's no one manning it. You don't have any people staffed at this. It's just a visual that people want to take pictures with. Uh -huh. um, and then they're sharing it and sending it around. So that's a good way to do guerrilla marketing. And then online, um, it's really good to have an H5 page. So for WeChat, everything lives on WeChat in terms of like articles and things. You don't go online. You don't ever yeah. go and open your browser. So an H5 page creates like a little mini website in WeChat. So for the user experience, it's awesome because you can have an entire, all your event information right there on WeChat that's easy to send out um, versus having to send someone to a website. Yeah. Um, and then I guess last one would be they haven't made it to the U.S., which I'm very shocked, or they did and failed, uh, QR codes. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've seen them around here, but everything has a QR code in China. Yeah. Um, that little, like, black box um, that would you'd scan and either have you follow their account or take you to a web page or you can pay money via QR codes. So they're everywhere. So making sure if you do an event poster or something offline, too, have a QR code because people will scan it and they'll do whatever you've prompted them to do. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of Western agencies, I think, have scoffed the QR code because it, yeah. it failed in the U.S., but um, it is very much alive and thriving here in China. Mm -hmm. So um, with your own company run by yourself, you I know you've worked also with a lot of smaller PR firms who work for smaller PR firms. What do you prefer about smaller PR firms compared to um, in-house PR firms that are bigger? Um, do you think that they run smoother because there's less people or what do you prefer about working there? Yeah, I really like small companies are a great experience that I think everyone should have um, at some point in their career, whether you intern with one or work, work full time, um, because you get a lot more hands on experience than you do in the bigger PR agencies where you're a little bit more specialized and mm -hmm. maybe you have 10 people who are helping you execute one project uh, versus a small PR firm. It could be two people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's there's just a lot more responsibility and that's something that for me I learn a lot on I like to learn by doing so it was great for me because I was kind of thrown in the deep end really quickly and I loved it yeah um, but I had other friends who tried that and they preferred to be a part of a bigger team and have more people to rely on and work with um, so I love it because it's much more fast-paced and a lot more um, self-reliant and a lot more upward, upward mobility I honestly mm -hmm. think compared to some of my counterparts who graduated the same time I did from university and worked have been working their way up in the US um, I've been able to gain way more experience just purely by being at a smaller agency where when they look around and say, we have a new project, okay, yeah. oh, well, somebody has to, you four people have to do it versus a bigger agency and they might have whole set teams set aside to take on new work. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Logan, for coming on the podcast. Was there anything that you'd like to leave us with? That's it. No, I've really enjoyed this. It's fun talking about PR and yeah. digital in China. As you can tell, I get very excited about it. It's yeah. an exciting space to be in. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and good luck with everything. Um, hopefully, your company just keeps thriving. Yeah, hopefully you'll hear more of us. Yeah, thank you again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and make sure to tune in next time for GVSU's PR Hangover with Hunter Buren. Bye.